Um, Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the wedding at Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the, water, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And though it is not written, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Kathy. All right, we begin a new series. The outline is there for you uh, on page 12. The Signs of John's Gospel. John opens his gospel with a remarkable statement that the word of God became flesh, verse 14, chapter 1. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. And John starts off his gospel, and he wants to introduce us to this one who is glorious, who is so special. And so Jesus starts off his public ministry in verse 35 of chapter 1, and it's up and going, and we are now going to see what is so glorious about Jesus Christ. Now, if you are a really reasonable person, if you love logic, if you love rational things, if you love sort of abstract thought, uh, this passage might drive you crazy. Because this is about celebrating the presence of Jesus. This is about uh, enjoying what Jesus can do and what alone he can do. He brings goodness to everyone. It's about the abundance of wine. It's about the quality of wine. It's about the miracle uh, that Jesus does from water to wine. Uh, I used to live in Lodi, California, I have a lot of stories from Lodi, California. Marianne and I lived there in our early years on the other side of college. Lodi is a real little town in uh, just north of uh, Stockton, which just recently, uh, I guess, made the news. Some of you know about Stockton and its financial troubles. Lodi is a cute little town with lots and lots of grapes. Some of the table grapes that you eat uh, are probably from Lodi or that region. And Lodi is now a sort of a elite wine-growing area. Never thought of Lodi as that. But it is. There's about 16 really good wineries there. Um, 
and uh, they have developed quite a name. Now, in Lodi, the grape harvest takes place around August or so, and one of the things that happens in this little town is that these, 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 uh, these farmers taking care of all these plots will get these big 1940s flatbed trucks, and they will be used for about 20 days a year, and they've been cranked up one, just one, once, once a year, and they get them going, and these flatbed trucks are, I don't know why they use flatbeds, but they use these flatbed trucks, and the, those who pick the wine just throw the wine, the grapes, uh, excuse me, they pick the grapes, put them on there, and they stack these, these, uh, these clusters of grapes up about three feet tall, and then they drive across town and get to wherever they're going to you know, take them to, uh, to turn them into wine. And uh, so the streets of Lodi uh, will, the overflow, overflow of these trucks, will, clusters will fall off on the road. And you'll be driving around these little clusters and then it'll be squished and everywhere. And, and so this is something you put up with in little little town of Lodi. And it was an exciting moment, though, for the community because you saw the abundance uh, of, of wine or the abundance of grapes. Uh, grapes are quite a picture of the gospel. Uh, a cluster of grapes, dozens and dozens of, uh, of individual grapes. And then you take a bunch of clusters and it'll, you need a lot of them to make one glass of wine. And this is quite a, quite a picture of the, the joy of the gospel and the abundance of the gospel. Uh, and with that in mind, let's take a moment and let's ask our God to give us a taste of the abundance of, of the gospel as we look at John chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, this passage. I pray that you would open uh, our eyes to it. Not that we would just be collecting facts, but we would be growing in our appreciation of Jesus Christ. Father, in this moment, I pray that you will uh, help us taste and see that you are good. Uh, I pray you'd intervene um, and, and, and show us Show us your, your, your gospel in, in, a, in a new and a fresh and abundant way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so in this passage, uh, the flow of the passage uh, goes like this. Jesus is the special guest at a wedding. The disciples sort of tag along with Jesus. And it's a community event. In this, in this day and age, the, a wedding was involved lots and lots of people right there from the community. And the first thing that's noticed by Mary is the wine has run out. And so there's a conversation between Jesus and Mary about what's going to happen. And that's in verses 3 and 4. And then Mary turns the whole thing over to Jesus and expresses to these servants. They're kind of volunteers helping out with the event. She says, well, uh, listen to him. And then we notice in verse 6 there's these ceremony, these pots that that were usually filled with water for ceremonial washings. And so in Judaism, wherever you had a possibility to wash and to show that you were unclean and needed to do some ritual cleansing, that happened. So there were these pots off to the side. And those become now the target of the narratives, like these empty pots are there. And Jesus now takes over. They get filled with water by the, the attendants. And then in the process of transporting these pots to the steward of the, of the event, the one who's sort of like the maitre d', who's overseeing the whole thing. In the transfer of the pots to him, they've turned from water to wine. 
And not everybody realizes what's happened, but the disciples know what's going on. The attendants know uh, something's up because that, wait a minute, I filled that with water. And uh, so not everyone knows at the wedding what's taken place. And then the the maitre d', the one who's the steward of the whole event, says he calls the bridegroom in and uh, says, you know, look, how parties go is you just sort of like, you know, you serve you serve good wine at the beginning, and then you know, then when people don't really care, you kind of just throw out throw out whatever kind of stuff you have, and after after a feast gets going, no one really notices. But you you like you've got some really really good wine here, and uh, he says everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So you've sort of broken sort of the tradition of, of, of feasting and partying, right? It's an interesting com- uh, observation there. And then in verse 11, we have John picking up the narrative, and he says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested, and here's John's key word, manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So John is actually directing us as the audience, as the readers, this is what you're to take away. This is a glory-enhancing sign. Jesus is up and running in his public ministry, and this is what it's like when he is present, when he is present. Uh, When you open a a bottle of wine, uh, it's a little different than opening a bottle of water. What do you say? What do you say? When you open a bottle of water, sort of the expectations there, you know what water does, right? Now, wine, it's very interesting. When you open a bottle of wine, there is a moment of anticipation. Wouldn't you say? There's a moment of, well, what is this? It was $1.99. Uh, what is this? Okay, so, but if the bottle was a really, really expensive bottle of wine, your anticipation, even though you haven't tasted anything yet, your anticipation is peaked, Right? Now, I was a waiter years ago, and I worked at a place called La Costa in Carlsbad, California. It was a five-star restaurant. I used to say if we could light it on fire at the table, we would. And so we were lighting stuff on fire, you know, all kinds of dishes, European-style cooking there at the table. <clears throat> and I was the waiter. That meant I did a lot of running back and forth between the kitchen and the table. The table people didn't really see that much of me because I was back and forth. Now, they saw a gentleman called the captain who was in a tuxedo. The captain didn't do anything. (laughs) He just stood around, poured some coffee, opened a bottle of wine, took some orders, and then told me what to do. That's what the captain did. Well, one time, my captain, we had about five tables. My captain was just swamped. I don't know why. And he turned to me and said, take their wine order and get them their wine. So... So I take their wine order, and I go over, and this place had a, like a small cave where all the wine was stored. And there was a lady who, you, the wine steward, and you couldn't get to the wine unless you got through past her. And so I hand the number uh, of the bottle, and it was, it, was a, it was a Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, a Bordeaux from France. And I had no idea what's going on here. I just... Gallo or something. I don't know. And uh, so she looks at me, 
And I'm not normally the person who gets the wine, right? She's looking at me. And she says, are you sure? I said, yeah, that's what it, that's what it is. Okay. So she takes this bottle and she hands it to me. Now, at the time, this was a uh, early 1960s um, bottle of wine. And it was $144. Okay, that's right. So, so I'm taking this bottle. Now I realize how expensive it is. So I'm walking with great care. And then I'm going to open the thing. Don't break the cork. And I open this thing and pour it out. Now, the best thing was not my uh, involvement at all with getting this guy the wine he wanted. I got 25% of the, of the $144. Yeah. That was the joy of the evening. So interesting about wine is that when you have you know, something from a cardboard box in the refrigerator, your anticipation is not that much. But when you have a really good wine then you're anticipating something special. And the interesting about wine is that when you taste it, it sort of captures your attention. A little sip of water doesn't capture your attention. So a sip of wine, and we have uh, Brandon here who used to serve wine, and uh, he was a wine steward at one of these places in central California. And wine is an all-captivating experience. People go on wine tours in our day, and they, they're willing to take hours to, you know, to, to figure out Find these rare wines or special wines. When you take a sip of wine, it captures your attention. This captured, the quality of this wine captured the, the steward or the maitre d' of this event. And the first thing, though, we learn from this text is, is that this wine came as a result of water, but the water is connected to empty pots. In other words, the first image we have in John's gospel of the spiritual condition of Israel in the day of Jesus is one of empty pots, ritualism, dead formalism. There is no life in the religious leaders. There is no gospel functioning. There is no vibrancy in this religion. It is an empty pot. It is an empty pot. And Jesus now comes and he fills these empty pots with the joy of wine. This is what it's like to have Jesus present. So just the first idea here is that Jesus is present and we notice that the pots are empty. The pots are empty. Jesus is present and we notice that the pots speak to the emptiness of Israel's condition at the time. It also is a context where the community is gathered and the one person who's responsible for this event is really the groom. The groom here has not anticipated the right amount of wine with the crowd. In many ways, it's kind of a shame culture. Um, you, wanna, you don't want to do something publicly that will bring shame. Perhaps think of the bride's parents, the expectations. And so the groom has not delivered, but there is a messianic bridegroom in the midst. The final groom who will care for his bride, will care for the community. See, John's strategy is to show us the true identity of Jesus. Now, there's this exchange between Mary and Jesus. It's very uh, kind of interesting. Verses 3, 3 and 4. Um, and uh, what happens here is that Jesus, uh, Mary says, do, do something. 
I mean, Mary, no doubt, knows that he can, can do something. And Jesus responds to him, and the, it's interesting, the English translation there says, woman, what have I to do with you? It feels kind of rude, or like, well, what is going on here? And the, the translators are really struggling because the word, if you're, you're a, a, from the south, and you say this very respectfully, you might say ma'am, right, respectfully. That's kind of what's going on here. And the English woman is like, that's, a buzz, it's, it's, we can't, that's, that's what we got. But he's not speaking disrespectfully of his mother. But here's what's going on. He says, now, let me, just, let me just put the meaning here. My public ministry has begun. The Father directs my will now, in that sense. The Father is now, con- my public ministry, the, the, sh- the, the things I do in order to uh, bring out my identity, to bring out who I am, these things are orchestrated not because of peer pressure, not because of the demands of people, but because of my Heavenly Father. All right. Because he does say, my hour has not yet come. Do you see that there in, in, in verse, uh, is it three? Um, uh, four, excuse me. My hour has not yet come. Now, there will be a moment in Jesus' life, that hour, those last uh, that the last couple of days of his life, when he experiences the pressures of people, the demands of people, he yields to the demands of people, right? But throughout his ministry, he will not be pushed by people. He will conduct himself systematically, carefully, and for, uh, for divine purposes in that sense, right? My hour has not yet come to succumb to the requests of people, as it were. All right, a little background there, because that's kind of an unusual thing. But Mary concludes, like, okay, I get it. And then she says to, to, to kind of the busboys in the crowd there, she says, well, whatever he, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. So she has a sense that he's going to intervene, and Mary senses, uh, Mary senses the potential shame of the situation. She's, she's intuitive, and she's picking up. She's picking up. This is not good. This is not, this is not good. She turns to Jesus, and then she picks up. He's going to do something. I'm not sure he's going to do something. Okay. So then we have the miracle. Jesus is present, and the pots are empty. Jesus moves like the Son of God moved with the Father upon creation. He is now moving again upon this world, and he is recreating. But he's recreating for the joy of people to experience joy in salvation. The one who was with us in creation, the one who was moving upon creation, he is now moving upon this world in order to redeem it and bring joy. There is a deep emptiness, and Jesus addresses this deep emptiness in people's lives, in the stories of Jesus, uh, uh, that are recorded in John's gospel, this empty pot kind of feeling continues throughout the gospel of John. People come up empty. People come up where they don't have the resources that they, they need. They have, not found, they have not found the magic it in life. Nicodemus is curious, and Jesus intervenes with his with his his un- misunderstanding of how dire the situation is, and he tells Nicodemus that man must, man must be born again. That's, how, that's how, 
how empty man's Man is by nature. To the woman at the well, he, he comes to her and with great compassion tells her about the water that he will give her and that when she tastes of this water, she will never thirst again. Throughout John's gospel, there is this marvelous, generous uh, approach by God to speak to human need and satisfy thirst. The presence of Jesus is one of great abundance. In John 3.34, we find that Jesus is the one who's going to give the Spirit without measure. The Spirit falls upon Jesus, and in the early Gospels, we find that Jesus, as he is baptized by John the Baptist, he, he, the Spirit now falls upon him without measure. With the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit was given with measure. But in this New Testament era, this includes you and me, the Spirit now is given through the work of Jesus without measure. Thus, the wine. Thus, the multiplying of all of, this, of the celebration. Where Jesus is present, the pots are empty, but they will be filled with, 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 a, with something to celebrate with. So secondly, he is present, and we experience what he alone can do. What does he do here? He covers for someone. The groom's responsible. What, what does he do? The groom has no idea what's happened, but suddenly some hundred plus gallons of wine. Brandon did the math. Some a thousand plus bottles of wine have shown up at a party that were not planned for. What does Jesus do? What, what is it that Jesus alone can do? He covers for us. He, he, his, his abundant atonement, of course, is beyond what we could ever imagine. It's, it's not just, a, just to get us through life, but it's to give us eternal life, on and on. So running out of wine, potential shame, we've fallen short. We're, we're like the groom in the, in the story. And then John 1.14, this is the beholding of his glory. His glory is a gracious glory. His glory is a looking upon us where we fall short kind of glory. And he's humble, too. He doesn't just stand in the middle of all these jugs of wine and says, Hey, isn't this special? He doesn't do that. Many, in many ways, only a small handful of people even know what's going on here. He's humble. And he restores true celebration. And only he can do it. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Only he can be present among us to bring us joy. He's the true bridegroom, and he's caring for his bride and all her guests. People do want to celebrate. People are serious about celebration. I remember I worked uh, USC football games in Southern California at when I was in college, uh, we would go and we were vendors and selling hot dogs to people right there at this massive stadium, 90,000 people watching a football game. Well, uh, I went to a small Christian college about 60 miles away, and we would arrive about 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning for a 1 o'clock game. And guess what? People were already there tailgating at 7.30 in the morning for a 1 o'clock game. T- people take celebrations seriously. In fact, the crimson and gold of the USC Trojans, that, right? Those, well, crimson and gold, how about little sweaters for poodles? Hmm? How about that? Yeah. 
they take it seriously. The whole of their life, they're pursuing these things. And Super Bowl parties are planned well in advance, right? See? We live, we live in a time when people really, really do want to celebrate. Jesus provides true celebration. He provides the spirit without any kind of limitation. Now, this doesn't mean there's not pain in, in our lives or suffering, but we have the abundance of the spirit with us. We have the very presence of Jesus that was here in John 2. We have his presence with us. True celebration is through atonement and his resurrection and his ascension and his return. And you see, you realize that there is an entering into abundance. Jesus' presence is illustrated through gallons of wine. God is serious about your desires. And it's not just cheap wine, and it's, just, and it's not just a little, a little bit of wine. There's a lot of it. Interesting that John mentions that from his grace we have all received, from his fullness we have all received, uh, John 2.16. So uh, he restores the heart. Only Jesus can do these things. He's present uh, to do only what he, only he alone can do. And then finally, uh, he is present and we enter into the movement of divine generosity. You see, John wants us to know that this is what it's like to, to taste of Jesus' glory. We've been released from Jewish laws and customs, and we're replaced with who? The presence of Jesus, or what? The presence of Jesus. Jesus is thoughtful, he's kind, he's generous. Uh, He makes the event memorable, it's well-planned. And the glory of Jesus is that he he points us to the big-heartedness of our God. And he creates community. The generosity that comes to us as individuals flows to other people. It's not a good thing to have a bottle of wine by yourself under a palm tree. It's not a good thing. Wine is meant to be shared. So wine is part of the divine movement telling us that it, it is creating community. Christ is creating community. And what's interesting about this is that it feels like he's gone to too much trouble. Most of the guests would look at the amount of wine and say, someone overdid it. Someone went to too much trouble. But isn't that the the kind of thing you love to have happen to you when you're invited to someone's house? Oh, I thought it was just going to be chicken. But it's pork and it's beef. I didn't know we were going to have dessert. We have five kinds of dessert. Wow. And you say, sort of half-heartedly, you went to too much trouble. But you don't believe any of it. You don't believe any of it. You're so glad for all that trouble. And so this is the divine movement. You see, God is moving us into his generosity. Yeah. Too much trouble. And that's how our community should feel about us. You went to too much trouble. The flow doesn't stop with us. You see, it doesn't start, it's not about us just, oh, I got my wine, I'm good, I'm happy. It flows to others. It's, you start pouring wine for others. Jesus 
has resources that will not only touch us, but they will flow from us to others, and we will communicate to them they are worth it. And they will have moments of God's large-heartedness, God's generosity. Now, we are all accustomed to fast food. And one of the ways you can get fast food is if it's not fast enough, you can have a drive-thru. Now, this started in Southern California, so that's where I'm from. And we just can't live fast enough, you know what I'm saying, in Southern California. And so a drive-thru, you get your taco, tacos quickly. You can't wait around. Quickly. And you get whatever you think you need, and you get on your way. Sometimes this blends over into the church experience. It's just like, a, it's like, a, it's like the drive-through. It's a drive-through. I get what I need. I consume something. But it's really not like pouring a glass of wine for someone else and spending time with them. It's just a drive-through. It's ecclesiastical fast food. You see, it's not like that. The spirit moves not so quick, more intentional, more thoughtful, more focused. It's not the drive-through lane of private consumption. It's a community-building spirit. See, he is a a community-building spirit. For of his fullness we have all received, you see, John 1.16, for of his fullness we have all received. So ultimately, when you're feeling full as a Christian, not a church program, not a pastor, not a style of worship, mm -mm. when you're feeling full, it's of his fullness that you have received. And we live now, we're moving into an age of scarcity. People are worried financially. Food shortages. Something may be up in our a radical change in the way people have enjoyed life. We're entering in possibly into an age of scarcity. And this is our moment. And it is the moment of the spirit among us. And here's what it may look like. Divine abundance. Divine generosity. Risking. Giving. Patience. Love. Extending out, you went to too much trouble. No, I didn't. And now I'm reflecting and living in light of God's generosity toward me. It's always an age of scarcity. It never has, has failed. It has it's always been, since we've been booted out of the garden, it's always been a, an age of scarcity. And Jesus sends his spirit in Acts chapter 1. We are told, wait, and you will be filled with power when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what will that be like? It will be like an abundance, an experience of joy, God's joyful generosity toward us. So let me wrap this up. Weddings have rehearsals. And what's really special about a rehearsal 
is when the bride and groom show up. And you know what? It becomes something different at that moment. They haven't been, they're not married yet, but what's about to happen already feels real. You can feel their joy for each other, and it becomes infectious. And uh, the joy of being married is yet future, but it's already being experienced now. That's what it's like to be part of the church. Uh, Our future is that we are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are heading to a, a wedding feast at the end of the age. And now the rehearsal is going on right now. And that is that the groom is among us. The groom is caring for us. The groom is giving us his abundance. Out of his abundance, he's loving us and caring for us. And he is here. He's present. And the bride is being prepared. And the overflow is God's gift of the Spirit to all the nations, the day of Pentecost coming up. And this divine generosity is extending to all the nations around the world. And the groom continues to cover our failures. And he makes us look good. And, uh, and this, is, this is why we gather today to celebrate. Because our groom is with us. Isn't that great? He's with us. He wants to be with us. He desires to be with us. May you taste his presence today. Let's pray. Lord, you have made really, really good wine in the atonement of Jesus. And it is in abundance. And we thank you. Father, uh, create an overflow in our hearts. We don't have it in ourselves. But we thank you. We thank you for the glory that is in Jesus Christ. May we behold his glory. Uh, Extend his glory. Be empowered by his glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.